This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays, 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Okay, let's get into this because this is something we hear a lot about these days, right? Now, changing media consumption habits and how easy it is to kind of craft this echo chamber for yourself. You know, if you're conservative, if you're liberal, whatever. That if you want to get news and information, you can find sources, media outlets, individual news commentators who will fit that worldview. And you can just kind of immerse yourself in that and just have your preconceived notions reinforced every day. Now, again, I mean, it's nothing new. I think people do have preferences. People lean a certain way. They prefer certain kinds of media or certain commentators, and, and that's not a concern. But I think there is a worry then that if it becomes so exclusive that you're really cutting yourself off from other sources of information, maybe that's not healthy in a democracy. But here's the question, though. Is it even happening in the first place? Are these fears unfounded? Well, some new research suggests that, yeah, maybe these fears are a little unfounded. Now, joining us to talk about what they found, uh, Elizabeth Dubois joins us, assistant professor in the Department of Communication, University of Ottawa, co-author uh, of this new research. Professor Dubois, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. And in terms of the, this, this research, how, how would we define the term echo chamber to begin with? Great startup question because we often talk about echo chambers and we're all talking about slightly different things. What we mean with echo chambers for this study really is this idea that when you are interested in a particular issue or have a particular opinion, you're likely to get more information that confirms that, that right. goes along with what you're already saying. So you could imagine you're in a cave and you are shouting something out and those words bounce off the walls and come right back to you in an echo. That's the idea of an echo chamber. And it can cross all kinds of different channels of communication. So it could be an echo chamber that includes your Facebook and your Twitter and your chats with your friends over beers after work. And what would be the concern? I mean, if, if this were a, a real phenomenon, what, what would concern us about that? The big issues come when we think about people actively choosing information that is not about news or not about politics, because the idea there is if we want a strong functioning democracy, we need our voters to be at least generally informed about the top issues of the day. And if people are choosing not to be exposed to any of that information, then it's really difficult for them come election day to make an informed choice. The other issue is actually among people who are very politically engaged and really interested in politics and follow news and current affairs closely. And there's a worry that those people might end up in ideological filter bubbles or echo chambers, depending on what kind of technology we're talking about. And those people are ones who might encounter only opinions that confirm their existing beliefs, and they never get a chance to encounter alternative views and perspectives, which is 
another important thing for a healthy democracy for its citizens to be able to understand each other and come to decisions about what should and shouldn't happen based on that shared understanding. Right. So how do we go about determining to what extent this exists or whether it exists at all? So the typical kinds of studies that have so far existed have taken a specific platform at a time. So Facebook, for example, and they've looked at what kind of information people get served to them in their newsfeed, what kinds of information get clicked on and liked and shared. And that is really great at trying to understand the way Facebook's algorithms help influence the information that you get fed. And so those are what we call filter bubble studies. But echo chambers are a little well, broader. It's a bit harder to do because uh, they, as I mentioned, can cross a whole bunch of different platforms. Quickly, and, and so for echo chamber work, what we do is we run surveys and we ask people to tell us about how they access information about politics, how they access the news, whether they trust social media, and whether they do things like going and checking alternative sources when they come up with facts that they haven't encountered before whether or not they ever change their mind after doing a Google search for some sort of news information. And so by asking people to tell us about their media habits, we get a better sense of what their media diet is across these various platforms we have access to in the kind of digital media environment. Right. And so what did you find here then? What we found was most people, very hearteningly, are really great at consuming media from a bunch of different sources and doing things like checking alternative sources and encountering opinions that are different from their own, which is a little counterintuitive. A lot of, yeah. a lot of the fears right now around the role of social media in particular in our democratic process suggest that you know we're in danger, but most of what we found suggests that the average person is pretty good at getting themselves out of that echo chamber danger zone. There's only about 8% of the British population that we would really consider being at risk for being stuck in an echo chamber. Now, do you think it's the case then that people are going out of their way to, to find sources of, of media that might conflict with their views? Or is it the nature of social media where we have friends and we know we have friends that have different opinions and, and they're going to inject stuff into our feed once in a while that, that we're not necessarily going to be uh, in agreement with? Yeah, I think it's a combination of a few different things. Definitely the media literacy piece is important. And so what I mean there is people are becoming more and more aware of the fact that the way personalization works on social media means that you're likely to get stuff that you're already going to agree with. And so people are going out of their way to find additional sources of information and to check things. And particularly people who are interested in politics, they have this added incentive of, I want to know what the other side is saying and thinking so I can strengthen my own arguments. So we've got that sort of strategic use of a bunch of different things, which means that people's media habits are pretty diverse, which is great. On the other side of things, there have been a few studies uh, that have shown that people uh, do encounter information serendipitously on social media. And this information is not necessarily the stuff they agree with. 
even if most of your feed comes from people who already think and act a lot like you do, you've got those friends from high school that you reconnected with that periodically could pop up in your feed and might have a very different perspective on the world and current affairs than you do. It happens relatively rarely, but it's still is an important piece of the media system. Right. And I mean, people are still going to have their preferences. I suspect probably most of the Fox News television audience is conservative. Most of the MSNBC television audience is, is probably liberal. Uh, and I think people on the right and on their left, if we were to look at their Twitter feeds, for example, maybe it would be largely views that align with their own. But, but having preferences is not the same as, you know, living in an echo chamber. Exactly. And it's really important to remember that even before social media, we all had preferences, sure, right? Yeah. We've definitely got scenarios uh, that date far back before the internet became this omnipresent piece of our life. We all hung out with people who were kind of similar to us, and we read information from sources that we trusted often because we like the particular angle that that outlet uh, puts forward. And that's completely fine and normal. The risky bit is when we kind of go uh, too far into serving those preferences to the point where you're no longer able to access the alternative views at all. And that's really what the fear around echo chambers has been. Uh, But again, our study is showing probably that fear is overblown. Right. So I I suppose we shouldn't be complacent either, as encouraging as these findings are. I mean, how should it shape the conversation going forward, do you think? Definitely. I think one of the biggest things that I take from these results is those uh, arguments around media literacy are really, really important and, and helpful. People who are incorporating a lot of different sources of information into their daily habits are faring much better. People who are actively checking sources and comparing findings and, and really critically thinking about the information that they are consuming, those are the people who are best placed to deal with the kind of media environment we've got right now. And so I think continuing those conversations, making sure that people young and old are all uh, being kind of invited into this media literacy conversation, uh, I think that's really, really important and, and helpful. And then on the platform side, thinking about what Facebook or Twitter or other social media platforms can do, uh, the way that they present how their system works, how that algorithm decides what information to serve you, making that explicit and accessible to the average user is another really important step in the media literacy process. Well, fascinating research. Professor Dubois, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Elizabeth Dubois. Assistant Professor, Department of Communication, University of Ottawa. Apologies uh, at some point there. Speaking of media, uh, just consuming some some news. But unfortunately, some uh, news media, they have the autoplay video. So there's a bit of that playing in the background there. So apologies for that. But there you go. Uh, you can go to theconversation.com if you want to read more about this research. They got a piece, uh, her and her co-author, on the myth of the echo chamber. Uh, posted just a few days ago. 974-8255, 974-TALK. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.